Awesome. Well, if you would, stand to your feet one last time. We're going to go to the Word of God. Today we're going to be finding ourselves in Luke 16, and we're going to be reading uh, from verse 19 all the way down to verse 31. So Luke 16, verse 19 through 31. If you don't have a Bible or you don't have a smartphone or anything like that, you can see on the screen. It'll be right up there for you. And this is what the word of the Lord says to us. There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table. But instead, the dogs would come and lick his sores. One day, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out. Have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this flame. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things just as Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here while you are in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot. Neither can those from there cross over to us. Father, he said, then I beg you to send him to my father's house, because I have five brothers to warn them, so they won't also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But he told him, They don't listen to Moses and the prophets. They will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Let's pray. Most gracious God, I thank you for another opportunity to proclaim your word. Lord, to be a vessel, to be used by you, Lord. Father, the authority that we stand on and stand under is the word of God, not man's opinion, not what I think, not what anyone else thinks, Lord. God, but what you say. And so, Father, I pray that in this moment, Lord, in the final moments we have together, as we worship continually with the preaching of the word, that you would touch our hearts, our minds, and our lives, and that you would transform us, that we would leave here changed and different because we've encountered the word of God. Lord, we give you thanks and praise for it. In Christ's name, amen. You can be seated. You know, the world of social media, when a celebrity dies, there's an immense amount of shock. I mean, nowadays, uh, you don't have to wait for a newspaper. You can just see it instantly. The moment someone dies, the moment the, the news lets it out, it's all over. And you see hashtags, you see pictures that are shared and, and all these different things. You have videos remembering their life. And you know, most of the time what people share anytime a celebrity dies or not only the celebrity, but, but anybody, the one thing they say is rest in what? Peace. R.I.P., right? Hashtag rest in peace. Hashtag take your rest. Hashtag rest on. And I know what they're saying, right? And we all know what they're saying. It's the, it's the human sentiment to be sentimental towards someone who has lost someone, right? Rest in peace. But if we really take a, a, a real good hard look at what that phrase means, Can that be said of every person? Well, the truth is it can't be because death equals 
the reality for each person, whether it be an eternity with God or an eternity away from God. Let's say you had 100 people in the United States, only 100 people. Out of those 100 people, 55% would believe in heaven and hell. So 55% of folks in America who claim some sort of evangelical Christianity believe that there is a heaven and hell. But 17% out of those believe that there's a heaven and not a hell. Now, 64% of evangelicals believe this. Everyone goes to heaven. You ever been to somebody's funeral? And you know, and you know. Everybody else in the room knows. But all of a sudden, how is it that when everybody dies, everybody becomes a saint? Everybody, right? Joe could have been selling drugs, killing folks, just killed his mama. And all of a sudden, what is it? Boy, he's going to a better place. Really? Is that really true? And so here's the thing. 64% of evangelicals believe everyone goes to heaven. While 60% of overall Americans believe this to be true. So 64%, 60% of evangelicals and Americans believe the same thing, that everyone goes to heaven. 84% of evangelicals believe that hell is a place of eternal judgment where God sends all people who do not personally trust in Jesus Christ. Now, how do 64% of evangelicals believe everyone goes to heaven? 84% believe that hell is real. Something's not adding up. There's a disconnect within the church. There's a disconnect in those who really believe that hell is a real reality. Why? Because we normally don't live out as if this is a reality. To reject the reality of hell is to reject the reality of the justice as well as the goodness of God. To reject hell is to reject a real reality and life and to live in a very wishful thinking type of manner. And this is not what the Bible tells us. In 1 Peter 1.17, it says this, If you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work. So that means that each person, when they die, has to give an account for how they live their life. Every person. Romans 3.19 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are subject to the law, so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. So here's the thing. We can say what we think, yet when we stand before a holy God, the Bible says our mouths are shut because he is good and holy. Why? Revelation 19, 2, because his judgments are true and righteous. Everything he does is good. So as we continue on in this Who's Your One series, we're looking at the reality of hell. Now, if you want to grow a church, you don't preach this. If you want to reach the masses, you never talk about this. In fact, a lot of stuff we do here you, don't, you shouldn't do. But we want to be biblical, not popular. Here's the first thing we see here. A life lived for wealth. A life lived for wealth. There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. In Luke 16, we have this amazing story from Jesus. Some hold that this is a parable, while others hold that it's an actual account, that Jesus is telling an actual account of something that happened. 
I do believe this is a parable with great spiritual truth that gives us the real reality for our lives, being a stewardship in this life and the reality of life to come. Jesus begins the story introducing first the first of four characters. In fact, the first person introduced as almost the main character of the story in many eyes would be seen as the hero. Why? He's a rich man. He's a rich man. He describes this man in great detail. Now, we, we need to understand the historical context of this. Jesus, in telling this, is speaking to a Jewish audience. This is going to make sense to us because when you know the context of who he's speaking to, it makes the, the parable, makes what he's saying come even more alive. There's some things for us to think on is how the Jewish culture viewed the rich. They viewed wealth being equated by a blessing from God. In fact, we see Peter's response to Jesus in Matthew 19, 23 and 25. Jesus said this again. I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were utterly astonished and asked, then who can be saved? Why did they say that? Because in their thinking, the rich were immensely blessed by God. Isn't that how we think today, too? If you have things, the favor of God must be on you. Did you really know that Satan blesses as well? Except his blessings lead to disaster. Put yourself in their shoes. They're hearing this story. They're hearing this parable. And they're hearing Jesus say some things that are immensely shocking. There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen. The Bible goes on to say that he feasted lavishly. It's not hard to imagine who was his God. His God was his self. His God was pleasing himself and acquiring wealth for his own self. First Timothy 6.10 tells us this. The Bible tells us, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The great theologian P. Diddy said it. More money, more problems. <laughs> the love of money leads to immense problems in your life. And this is what he's saying here. There's a rich man. This rich man did great in his life. In fact, he's pictured as, in our context, almost achieving the American dream. If we could be honest, there's some of us who would love Jesus to say this about us. There was a rich person that lived in Algiers that lived in the city of New Orleans and all their bills were paid and they had everything paid for for themselves and money was pouring out their pockets. If we could really be honest, some of us would say, yes, I would love that. But where there's a love of money, where there's a love of the wealth and things of this life, where it can buy you the best of friends and can buy you the best of life, it cannot buy you eternal comfort. Comfort, in fact, is a friend we all seek after. It can often be the enemy of our very souls. Why? Jesus said this in Mark 8, 36. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world, yet lose his life or lose his soul? You gain all these things and yet lose your very soul. True stewardship for our lives means that we thank God for all that we have and use it as he directs. 
This is what Warren Wiersbe said. We use it as he directs so that our lives don't belong to us. It belongs to him. So what did the law direct a good Jewish person who feared the Lord to do? Well, this is what it directed them to do, to give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, because the Bible says in Deuteronomy 15, 10, for the Lord God will bless you in everything you do. So for a good Jewish person who is understanding the law and really trying to live out a life that was honoring God, they didn't make wealth their thing that they acquired the most. God instructed them to give to the poor. In fact, and, and it goes on to say this, it says, share with him some of your bounty, which with the Lord has blessed you. Remember that you once were slaves in the land of Egypt, and the Lord God redeemed you. This is why I'm giving you this command. All throughout the Old Testament, in the minor prophets, in different places, it denounced the rich for amassing great estates and exploiting the widows and the poor. In Leviticus 25, 35, and 38, it says, Why do you crush my people and grind the faces of the poor? This is the declaration of the Lord God of armies. So this man lived to lavish life upon himself. Notice, even in the scriptures, even in the accounts of Jesus' life, when the rich man came to Jesus and he said, I, I have all these things, I've done all these things. And Jesus tells him what? Go sell all you have, give to the poor, and then come follow me. And what does the Bible say? He went away immensely what? Sad. Why did he go away sad? Because his God was wealth. His God was what he could acquire. And this is why Jesus goes on to say, you can't serve both God and money. You can only have one master. You can only have one that you're following after. Now, you can't jump off the ledge here and say all wealth is bad because that's not what this is teaching. It's not even teaching that all riches are bad. Or even being rich is bad. There are many believers who have immense wealth and do great things for the kingdom of God. No, what it's just saying is that where is the devotion in your hearts? Where does the devotion lie? To the things of this life, the things of this world, or do they rely on the Lord? The next thing we see, the next character that's introduced is one whose life is broken and impoverished. So it introduces this next one. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table, but instead the dogs would come and lick his sores. So we have such a contrast. We have one that's coming from this life of lap and luxury to one who is now being placed at his gate in, in abject poverty. You see what Jesus is setting up here? He's setting up for those who are listening. Who is the real hero of this story? Who is the one who's really without? This poor man. He's given a name and his name is Lazarus. Now, don't let this be lost on you. Because the name Lazarus actually means whom the Lord saved, whom the Lord helped. Now, here's the thing. I'm glad we're talking about this because this is going to challenge a lot of our thinking and a lot of our theology. Because some of us have the theology of the rich man. What do I mean? The more someone has, the more they're blessed. The more someone doesn't have, they must be cursed. Well, here's the thing. We're going to see here that's not always the case. This is a contrast. The one the Lord helps, the one the Lord saved is described in this manner. He's covered with sores. 
He's lying at the gate. In fact, if you go read in the original, he was thrown down at the gate. He's longing to be filled with crumbs from the table. Guess who he had as his friends? Dogs. And they weren't even good friends at that. They were the worst friend. Why? They were licking his sores. And yet the Bible says this name Lazarus, the one whom God saves, the one who God helps, is thrown down. The question for us is how will we view Lazarus? For sure, this person doesn't know the Lord. Surely this person is cursed by the Lord because look at their life. Look at what they're walking through. Why am I saying this? Because there are brothers and sisters in third world countries who are just like Lazarus. They don't have the immense wealth and, and amenities that we have. And yet many of us will go to their country and act as if we got to give them a hand up. When they've been more immensely blessed by the gospel than us. How do I know this? Because many of our brothers and sisters who live in the far off countries and live in abject poverty and are struggling cling to the gospel as their only source of hope and strength. Amen. What do we cling to? We can always go to Walmart. We can always take out a payday loan. We can always go get more money from this one and that one. What happens when you have none of those things? And when the Lord is the only help you could have. Lazarus was despised. Proverbs 28 and 6 says it this way. Better the poor person who lives with integrity than the rich one who distorts right and wrong. Now, Lazarus was longing for food. Nothing more, nothing less. Now, here's the thing. We make the same statement here as we do with the rich. Poverty doesn't always equate or doesn't actually equate to righteousness. The only way you can be made right with God, whether you're rich or poor, is through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Those who are poor are not more godly than those who are rich and vice versa. Everyone needs the Savior. So what do we see here? We see lives separated immediately and eternally. Look what the Bible goes on to say. It goes on to say one day in verse 22, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up. We see immediately they were separated. Death comes to us all. Death is the great equalizer. Why? Riches can't keep you from it. Neither can poverty. Now, here's a shocker. This poor man was carried off by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man was led down to hell. In 2 Corinthians 5, 8 says this. In fact, we are confident and we would prefer to be away from the body and be home with the Lord. The Bible tells us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Remember, the hero in this story seems to begin with the rich man. Why? It's the one that Jews would have greatly admired and respected. But here comes Abraham into the story. One whom they really admired, one whom they really respected. Because the Jews saw Abraham as the father of their faith. For this, rich man, for this poor man to be carried off to Abraham was huge. Why? It tells us even more why Lazarus is living up to his name. The Bible tells us this about Abraham. In Genesis 15 and, and verse 6 all the way through 24, it says, Abraham believed the Lord 
and, he's a, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That means that Abraham, by faith, placed his trust in the Lord and was deemed righteous. He was called right by God. So we see the spiritual reality, the moment of death, and the moment that life ends here on earth, it actually continues on. It continues on. And the scripture tells us that the moment you leave your body, there's only two places you can go. There's heaven to be with the Lord, or there's eternity in hell. What do we see about Lazarus? He was poor. He was outwardly broken, but he was saved. Lazarus knew the Lord. His faith was in the Lord. But the rich man died as well. He was buried, yet his result was different. He awoke directly after death in torment. I've seen now that people are having funerals where they kind of I saw one guy. He buried his Porsche with him as he was lowered down into the ground. That Porsche can't help you when you open your eyes again. You can't escape with the, the eternal reality of what now you're going to see yourself and find yourself in. And it's amazing how immediate death is, but it's also amazing how the payment that comes from how you live your life is as well. See, everyone has to give an account for their lives they lived. Well, you say, well, Jesus isn't truly serious about this. There's no way. This, he, Jesus is not serious about this. Jesus would never ever see anyone sent to hell well Matthew 10 28 says this don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul rather fear him who is able to destroy both body both soul and body in hell Matthew 25 41 then he, he will also say to those on his left depart from me you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and the angels. We see the reality that hell, the reality of hell, was not set up for humanity, but for those who were rebelled against God, the devil and his angels, but those who are still under the curse of sin will find their place there. Yes, hell is a place of eternal conscious punishment for the wicked. Now we're given some ideas of hell here as we kind of come around the corner. It is a place that lasts for eternity. It's a place of torment. It's a place of no escape. It's a place for those who reject Jesus. It's a place separated from the blessedness of God. Now you may be saying, yet if God is so loving, why would he send anyone to hell? We wrestle with that question. God is so loving and so good, as you say, and the scripture talks about this God who's so loving and merciful and kind. Why in the world would he send anyone to hell? That is a great question, and we're going to answer that. God is good and right, and he does nothing unrighteous at all. Yet the truth is, God desires, according to the scripture, that no one perish. Yet man rejects God. It is man who rejects the means of our salvation. It is man who rejects Christ. So in the very reality, the person who sends themselves to hell is us. It's the reality of us rejecting the means of our salvation. How do I know this? Because Jesus said his purpose for coming was not to condemn in John 3, 17 and 18, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. 
So Jesus came as the means of salvation, and God sent him not to condemn, but to save. Verse 18, anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. Can I tell you all something? We do the world no service if we never tell them about the message of Jesus Christ. Because if the scripture is true, which it is, and if God is not a liar, which he is not, and if Jesus is saying this is what the Father says, and if the only way for salvation is through Jesus, and we don't tell anyone about that, what are we really saying? That we truly don't believe in ourselves. We don't believe in the truth ourselves, but this is what he said. Those who do not believe in the name of the one and only Son of God are condemned to hell. You see the contrast of a good God and a merciful God? You say, well, God would never do that. Can I ask you a question? Imagine Hitler with me. Are you telling me in your logical reasoning that God will allow someone who killed millions and millions and millions of Jews, who blasphemed the name of the Lord, he would welcome him into his kingdom? But let's go even further home. What about those of us in this room who blasphemed the name of the Lord this morning and have rejected your means of salvation? No, it's a reality that all of us deserve. But God showed grace and mercy in Christ to us. See, the problem is man believes they deserve what God says cannot be earned. Everyone will tell you, I'm a good person. You don't know me, Pastor. I'm a good person. I don't kill anyone. I've never done anything too bad. Jesus said, even if you look with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. Jesus said this, even if you hate your brother in your heart, you've committed murder. That's only two of the Ten Commandments. The Bible says none of us can keep the law perfectly. So we all stand condemned. But yet there's a savior who says, I stand with a free gift of salvation to wipe away the sin that is in your life. Yet this is a reality for this rich man. He faces now life eternally. He faces now an eternity away from God. And the Bible says, and being in torment, verse 23, and in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off, but Lazarus at his side. And he cries out, Father Abraham. Have mercy on me. And look who he asked for. Send Lazarus. Now, you had nothing. You wanted nothing to do with Lazarus in this life. You wouldn't allow Lazarus to get a morsel of food from your table. And yet, what's the one thing he desires? A drip of water. No. This man, he got his reward. He's now in agony. I want you to notice here, too, there is no party in hell either. I know we see things depicted on TV and we see things, people, how they depict it in their own depraved imaginations. There won't be any partying in hell. There's no coming and going as you please. There is no hanging out with this one and that one. No, it is a place of immense torment. There's no blessed hope. We see their lives are rewarded eternally. This rich man yearned for freedom, but there was none given 
See, hell is not a remedial place. It's not a place to be purged of your wickedness and then you get released. This means that there is no purgatory. There's no middle ground. No, it is Christ Jesus in the finished work that he's done. This is the only way to have your sins washed and cleansed. But we see here, though, that the believer is comforted. Lazarus, who faced immense hardship in his life, is comforted well. And you may be walking through immense struggles even now, even sickness in your body. And you may be walking through cancer. Or you may have lost so many things. Can I tell you something? There's coming a day when you're going to stand with your Savior and all the things that you've lost, all the things that have been broken, all the things in your body that have not worked well. Guess what? Those things are going to pale in comparison to the reward you receive with Christ. Oh, it's an immense joy for the believer to be with him. We see the reality of hell and heaven, that there's this chasm that is there. And the rich man and Lazarus had a chasm in this life. And there's a chasm there, but no one can cross this. The Bible says there there's a great chasm fixed between us. And so we can't come over there. You can't come over here. How you live matters. What you believe matters. Why? Jesus said this. I tell you on that day in Matthew 12, 35 and 36, that on that day of judgment, People will have to account for every careless word they speak. Praise God for the believer. When we stand before Christ, we're standing before him and we are receiving rewards. We still have to give an account for our lives. But praise God, our salvation is not dependent on that because it is found in Christ. But for those who are not in Christ, they will be judged and they will be found without See, here's the thing. If this doesn't bother you and you're not thinking of those in your life who don't know Jesus, maybe the reality is you need to remind yourself of what Jesus has done for you. Think of those people in your life right now who don't know Christ. Is this their end? And look at what happens here at the end of this story. Father. He said, and I beg you to send him to my father's house because I have five brothers to warn them so they won't also come to this place of torment. In this place that he finds himself in, it's now life unable to reach one. You can't reach anyone now. See, the, see the, 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 the kind of earnestness now to tell somebody, to warn people, to say, hey, there's a reality of this place. But here's the thing. The reality of the rich man's final state makes him desire to be an evangelist. But do you notice one thing that is never brought up in this account? He never repents. You notice that? Do you notice in every account he never says, Lord, forgive me? Lord, I'm sorry. Why? Because when you die in your sin, you die angry at God. You shake your fist at a holy God. And this is the state he finds himself in. The place he's in is in hell. It is, is, is not a hospitable place. And so he doesn't want his five brothers to join him. He never repents. Yet he wants a sinner warning. And if hell is real, which it is, why would anyone want to go there? Men have been given what they need to find forgiveness, he tells them, look, they have, Abraham, they have Moses. Verse 29, they have the prophets. They should listen to them. What do we see here? We see here eternity is not only fixed, 
But we also see that God has given us the means for us to escape the judgment that is to come. How do we see this? this is, look, you have, they have Moses. They have pro- the prophets. Listen to them. What is he saying to him? Moses and the prophets received the word from who? God. So whatever Moses and the prophets have said and is written down, it is from the Lord. Listen to them. What did Jesus tell the Pharisees? You search the scriptures and they speak of me, yet you reject me. Any person who does not repent in this life will face condemnation directly after when they die in their sin. You say, well, if somebody had a miracle, then they will believe. If somebody saw like Jesus standing there, if, if someone saw Jesus standing right in their room, then they will believe. Really? Jesus says here and he tells in the story. If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Here's the thing. Miracles are not what people need. They need the word of God. You say, well, no, Pastor, I don't agree with that. Okay, well, here's the thing. The Bible says this in Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from what is heard. And what is heard comes through the message about Christ. People can see a miracle and still reject Jesus. So why would they receive a person raised from the dead? That is a good point. Miracles will not convince those whose hearts are morally blind and unrepentant. They will not be persuaded. Howard Marshall said that they won't be persuaded. How? Jesus said this in John 3, 3. Truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Romans 1 16 and 17, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is a power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For the power of the gospel is what people need. This is a reality we must respond to. We're going to close in a time of worship. But we must respond to this reality. Why? For the believer, if you place your faith and trust in Christ... If he is your savior, if he is the sufficient savior of your life, it's because he has taken on the wrath of God for us. He's taken on the wrath of God for you. The Bible says this. Look in Revelation 21. God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. So how do you respond? The reality of knowing that if you're in Christ, you will live with him forever. We have that assurance. The Bible gives us that assurance. But here's the last thing in our closing prayer. To the person who rejects Christ. They're rejecting their only means of salvation. I want to say something to y'all. I know we live in a postmodern world. I know we live in a postmodern, very much pluralistic society where we have bumper stickers that say coexist and everything is equal. Can I tell you something? Jesus is not on any equal playing field with anyone else. Why? He stands in a category all by himself. You want to know why? Because there is no other God but him. 
This is a hard thing for us to rationalize because many of us say, well, are there many paths that lead to God? Here's the thing. There is only one way that leads to God, and it's through Jesus Christ and him crucified. He was the only sufficient savior, the only one who could take on the very wrath of God for you. And the Bible tells us, but the cowards, faithless, that means if you don't have faith, that means if you don't trust and believe in the savior, Detestable, murderers, sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. That means that there is coming a time where those who have died and have died in the condemnation of their sins, that when Jesus comes to judge and he opens up and he, they stand before that great white throne of judgment, that they will be cast into the eternal lake of fire with Satan and all his demons. Then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them. I also saw the dead, the great and small, standing before the throne and books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Then the sea gave up the dead and the death and Hades were gave up the dead, and they were in them, each one judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Are you gambling with your eternal life by making a God in your own vain imaginations that does not speak to you as a holy, just, good, merciful God? And have you said, I'm trusting in my own self to save myself? Or have you cried out to the sufficient Savior to say he is the only source? I want to ask you one question before we sing this song. If Jesus were to return in this moment, would the people in your life know the reality that they're about to face? Who have you told of the judgment that is to come? But who have you told the way of escape that is found in Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Father, as we sing this song, Lord, declaring our need for you, we have a need for boldness. Lord, we don't have to walk around with signs. We don't have to walk around, Lord, with, with all these things, God, but we can walk around proclaiming the message of salvation that is found in Jesus. Lord, there are those around us who are dying every day and there are those around us who are living their lives and will end up in an eternal hell but Lord you have saved us and you've kept us here to warn every man to place their faith and trust in Christ to repent to turn to the one who took on the wrath of God for them and Lord there may be those in here 
who need to cry out to Jesus as the Savior. Not to have some type of fire insurance, but to look to the one who is sufficient and the only one who is our Savior. Lord, let us respond. Let us respond in worship to those who need the Savior. I pray that they will bow their knee and say, Jesus, I need you. To those who have the Savior, Lord, let us be about the Father's business, proclaiming to others that they need Jesus as well. In Jesus' name.